Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Marty's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about one of the most important things that we've been talking about for several years, which is cybersecurity. And we are really thrilled to have two wonderful guests with us today, and I'll tell you a little bit about them. We have Kelly Fair, and we have Jeff Blake. Did I pronounce that correct? Uh, Bleich. Bleich. Okay, I should have said that before. I'm going to check that one out. Okay. Okay. And we have Jeff Bleich. And let me tell you about each one of them, a little bit about each one. Kelly is a member in Denton's Litigation and Dispute Resolution and Global Privacy and Cybersecurity Groups. Kelly focuses her practice on complex commercial litigation and advising clients on cybersecurity and data protection policies and procedures and emergency response strategies. And Jeff is the CEO of Denton Diplomatic Solutions, which is an international consulting group composed of senior government executives and a partner and member of the leadership team of Denton's. He previously served as the U.S. Ambassador to Australia, which is one of my favorite places to visit, from 2009 to 2013, and as Special Consul to President Obama in the White House. He, the, uh, he also specializes in resolving complex international disputes as advising institutions on cybersecurity and technology issues. He has served as an advisor to the U.S. government on cybersecurity matters, as well as an advisor to California Governor Jerry Brown and to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and former California Attorney General Kamala Harris. There is so much more I could tell you about him, but I just want to say that he has a particular expertise in Asia-Pacific cybersecurity and privacy issues, and he has consulted leading technology companies, insurers, retailers, and governments on these matters. So we have a couple of wonderful guests. You can find out more about them at our website at privacypiracy.org, where we have their pictures, their bios, and we link to their website at Denton's, that's D-E-N-T-O-N-S dot com. Thank you both for joining me. Oh, thank you, Mari. And thank you for having us. Well, I want to find out a little bit about how you both became so interested in cybersecurity. Kelly, can you start? 
Sure. Um, so I focused a lot of my practice on consumer fraud and ensuring best practices from our financial services and insurance clients um, here at Denton's. And as these industries evolve to have more um, consumer-facing web products and services and started moving um, consumers' personal information into electronic storage, uh, my practice naturally evolved to want to help protect that data and ensure that the clients are complying with all of the new and evolving regulatory and industry standards uh, for security. That is tough. That's a tough one, right? I mean, even mm-hmm. for you to keep up in this, it's it's a challenge, <laughs> let alone to get your clients up to date. And how about, how, how about you, Jeff? Well, I've been in Silicon Valley for you know, almost 30 years now. And so I was brought in, I think, on one of the earliest uh, cyber breach cases, one on behalf of Microsoft back in the 90s, and uh, got involved with it then, but certainly became much, much more interested um, in the uh, in the time that I was in government, because I got a much better view of uh, how extensive and destructive uh, cyber cyber breaches have become, and the uh, and and the growth in their um, uh, both the, the the numbers and their um, and and the damage that they cause. And so as a result, uh, when I came back from serving in the in the White House and overseas, I made it the focus of my of my work. And especially when we've heard about the cybersecurity challenges with our election and whatever else is going on in government, I think it's uh, really terrifying, let alone thinking about um, our, our infrastructure and water supply and electrical grid and all that. It's just, it's, it's really the hottest topic and the most important challenge that we have facing us, right? Yeah. Well, well, you know, part of the reason why we're here is because no one expected when they created the, you know, the internet, this, you know, the, this open, you know, worldwide web platform that we could all access, that it was going to carry that kind of infrastructure. You know, it was originally designed to replace, you know, phone trees and, <laughs> right. and fax machines and card catalogs and that sort of thing. It wasn't. Uh, really designed to to handle this weight, and it's only because of extraordinary um, uh, developments and things like uh, data storage uh, and you know cloud storage, the capacity to encrypt, the uh, processing speeds ramping up dramatically, and then the extension of um, uh, mobile apps that we've gotten into into the state that we're in right now, where it is. Uh, you know, possible to put your electric grid and water supplies and uh, transportation infrastructure and financial information and law enforcement and all of our health records and all those other things yeah. um, into the internet. And and so it was originally designed as a relatively insecure platform, and it's only uh, after those developments took hold that we've had to uh, now backfill the security that didn't really exist at the beginning. Most of us who who were around at the at the dawn of this uh, didn't even bother with passwords. And right. usually your password was password. Right. So there you go. 
And they were so interested and excited about the technology, which, you know, you being in Silicon Valley, you, you know what that means. Everybody's so excited. They weren't thinking about, you know, privacy by design or security by design so much as, hey, this is cool. <laughs> Look at all these yeah. great things that we can do with it. Yeah. So we're really pretty vulnerable, aren't we? We are. We are. So, Kelly, um, what do you consider to be really the greatest threats right now in cybersecurity? And I guess it would be on all fronts, whether it's personal or commercial or government. What, what's, what is it? Well, I see in the evolution of you know, th- cyber threats, um, the introduction of criminal enterprise and real organization of, of the hackers, I see, is a huge threat um, because it's, it's making the, the hacks and the threats more sophisticated. The software available on the black market and the deep web are becoming more sophisticated, and it's allowed certain governments to engage easier um, these groups to then do their own bidding and engage in cyber espionage that we're seeing mm. become so, so prevalent. So yeah. to me, it's the layering of those two, the sophistication of the hackers and then government using, using that new network um, for their own purposes. Right. And just to, just to add to that, yeah. I, I, I think Kelly's exactly right. The, the hackers initially were kind of one-off individuals and sort of lone wolf. Now it, it's a business, mm-hmm. and there are there are markets um, in the in the deep web where these malware packages are bought and sold, and there are people who you know um, get up in the morning and go into a building and go to work hacking. That's right. their that's that's their job, and they know each other and they share information, and they're getting better yeah. and better at it. And then on top of that, you're seeing a number of governments that are either tolerating it or, or in some cases, sponsoring it. Right, right, or paying for it. And, and yeah. then to go the step further is, you know, the worry of terrorism and terrorists getting a hold of all this stuff and, and having the terrorists actually become the hackers and, you know, try to destroy our way of life through getting back into that infrastructure, right? Is that as much of a threat as the criminal, as the ordinary criminal? I mean, the ordinary criminal is looking for money, right? The terrorist is looking beyond that. Well, that's one of the one of the challenges, and I, I know Kelly's got some thoughts on this as well. But the the, the notion that there's a single purpose for people who are hacking uh, is just a you know it, it it's a mistake, and it causes people to make the wrong judgments about how to protect themselves. It's not simply people looking to steal money um, or steal identities. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, they are, you know, trying to make a political statement. You, right. know, so you can have hacktivists or you can have uh, terrorists who are, are accessing the web for those purposes. They right. may be trying to do what people call kinetic attack and actually um, hurt people. You know, they could, you know, hack into a car and drive it into a building. They could do a number of things that, you know, create actual danger for, for people. Uh, they may be trying to steal money, but they also, if you look at the Sony hack, they may just be trying to damage people's reputations. Right. And sometimes, you know, just exposing an email that you sent to someone can do more harm than if they uh, cleaned out your 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 
uh, MasterCard account. Right. And you know what I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, hacking into your car to make you have an accident? I was thinking about all these medical devices, you know, if you hack into like the Internet of Things where people are actually having pacemakers or they're having insulin and it's all basically um, monitored through uh, wireless Right, that could you could right. somebody could target uh, our president or target somebody to just have a heart attack or or their uh, diabetes uh, all thrown off or something like that. So people don't think about the medical aspects, right? All that Internet of Things. Well, it'll it'll scare you too much if you think about all the consequences. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> people might be wanting to turn us off right now and going, oh, crap. okay, I might as well die right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the phrase we used to use in, uh, in in government was that the next war will probably begin in uh, in cyberspace. That there will be an effort to, um, uh, to to blind and to degrade the capacity of an opponent uh, before you begin your 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 actual physical attack. Uh, you'll you'll start with a cyber attack, and you know that's that that should put it in perspective for people that cyber, for all the wonderful things it does for our society and how dependent we are on it, mm. um, it, is, uh, it, it is the great threat uh, that we all face as well. Right, the double-edged sword. So, Kelly, um, wh- what do you recommend to companies and people to do to protect themselves? Well, one, uh, and it follows on what, you know, the point that we're making, not to, not to terrify people, but to think more broadly about why someone would hack and to understand that there's, that there's no static profile for a cyber criminal. So one is to not think that as a business or an organization you're counted out because you're not, you're not, you're not holding credit card information. Um, and, and to that, having just good cyber hygiene, and, and Jeff will probably have more to say about this, but having measures in place, no matter what kind of organization you have or what you think your vulnerabilities are, where you have defensive mechanisms, you have software in place, you're, you're running the patches, you have, you have everyone in management and, and a risk response team and, pro, and protocol ready, I think is, is a great place to start, and it's, it's the first step and such a necessary step to protecting an organization. Right, right. Did you want to add anything, Jeff? Oh, well, I think Kelly said it well, but if you look at the statistics now, uh, people who think that they are least likely to be hacked and so they don't invest are getting hacked left and right, and they don't even know it. You know, there, there's that right. old saying, there are two kinds of um, businesses, those that uh, have been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked. Right, you know? right. And, uh, but 50% of all small and medium-sized enterprises are estimated by the National Security Agency to have been breached. In many cases, they don't know it, and sometimes they're breached without anything being taken. The you know the the hackers are just sending out these phishing messages to everyone. Uh, you click on it, suddenly they have access to your accounts. They're not sure exactly what they might be able to do with you, and so they just hang out there. And right. they once they're in your system, and a lot of times they'll be in a system for six months, nine months, a year before they mm-hmm. do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so that's one of the that's one of the challenges is getting people and and small businesses in particular to understand that uh, hackers may be coming after them even if they don't have tens of thousands of 
um, uh, credit card numbers and passwords. They may be coming after them just because, you know, they, they, they happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and, and they're they're easy. Yeah, they're an easy yeah. target. Or an you know, yeah, we've talked um, before on this show about ransomware. You know, where people yeah. come in and and just hack in just to get a ransom. You know, and that's that's really scary. And you know, I'm thinking about all these law firms that are off. You know, that are being hacked. They don't think about themselves as being hacked because they think, oh, well, we're not a financial services industry. But a lot of these law firms have very sensitive information and and CPA firms. So you know, even a mom and pop uh, little you know, law firm or a CPA firm of one CPA could easily be a target, right? Absolutely. And or, you know, be a target to be a proxy server to launch attacks on other targets. The, mm. the New York Times recently reported about uh, a Chinese hacking group that had hacked into a, a welding a welding company in, in Wisconsin, like a mom and pop, and were launching hundreds of attacks against different companies from one back office computer. Uh, it's yeah. And again, it's not always um, to, to steal money. Again, hacktivists right. broke into one law firm's data banks and um, uh, wanted to find out who was uh, hiding their money offshore. And so they went to this firm that was famous for setting up those kinds of accounts, and uh, it embarrassed a, a lot of uh, political figures, some of whom um, had to leave office. So it can have real-world consequences uh, in in terms of you know changing the heads of government exactly and, and bringing down administrations. Well, speaking of that, uh, I I really you know with all of your influence and what you've done in government and the people that you have been serving, um, let's talk a little bit, Jeff, about how serious you think the Russian hack of the DNC was. You probably have a lot more inside information about that from all of your contacts. Well, you know, and I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you and everyone in your audience. <laughs> right. uh, there you go. Uh, that would right. be bad. Right. But the, the, the short version is that uh, everyone should remember first that the DNC is not a... Um, it, it, it's not the government. It's right. actually a private entity. And, right. And so... What happened to the DNC could happen to any company. Right. And the forensics of it are what what Kelly was saying before, that it really has a lot to do with cyber hygiene. Uh, the DNC received a, you know, a, a, a phishing message. Uh, someone checked to see whether or not it was phishing. There was, a, there was a mistake internally in terms of identifying whether it was or was not malicious. They thought it they thought it was malicious, but sent the wrong message. And so um, the chair of the DNC uh, clicked on it. Mm. The chair of Hillary Clinton's committee uh, clicked on it. And right. suddenly, you know, they were they were vulnerable. And again, people were in the system for months collecting information. And the, the, the other thing that's worth remembering is no one, uh, uh, no one from Russia tried to uh, steal money from the DNC, or right. as far as we know, collect credit card accounts. What they did, though, was they looked for information that, if it became public, would look embarrassing, um, mm-hmm. and it could affect the outcome of the election. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a word to the wise, particularly you know executives and companies, that you know where they may be most vulnerable is not just in in um, 
personally identifiable information. It can just be the normal communications that they're having with their colleagues. Uh, I think the other thing about the Russian efforts is that it should it, it should give everyone pause who cares about their country. You know, this this thing can easily be politicized one way or another. Yeah. But there shouldn't be an American Democrat or Republican or Independent or Anarchist, you know, well, maybe Anarchist, <laughs> who isn't concerned <laughs> right. about the idea that a hostile foreign government it was deliberately using uh, cyber technology in order to influence the outcome of a U.S. presidential election and determine right. who would be the head of the United States. Right. That That should strike terror in the heart of anyone who cares about this country and what it stands for. Exactly, because it could be either party. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, oh, scary stuff. I, but I have to ask you, because you were an ambassador to Australia, which I just, now were you based in Sydney? Well, the the embassy's in Canberra, but we have oh. consulates in Sydney and Melbourne and Perth, and um, I visited probably every uh, well, I visited you know, every part of the country, but almost weekly. I was in some part, so I was in mm. Sydney probably you know a hundred times. Mm. So they, uh, uh, you know, I, that I, must I, have been fun. How did you go from being, you know, a practicing lawyer to to be the ambassador of Australia? I wanted to do oh, that well, job. You know, some, uh, Don't you, Kelly? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used cyber to get some incriminating information about people <laughs> who were making the appointments. No. <laughs> no, I love Australia. No, I was, oh. Yeah, fabulous country. And really, one of our best partners in cybersecurity, very sophisticated and very thoughtful about um, uh, cyber hygiene itself. And so, you know, we worked very closely with them on these issues, and it really, you know, drew me deeper into this world, but also an appreciation for how, you know, no one country is going to solve this thing alone. We have to have allies, and we have to start developing some some norms exactly. uh, for how people operate in, in cyberspace around the world. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's go back to Kelly. Kelly, why is it purely defensive cybersecurity? Why, why is that uh, strategy to be just defensive? Why is that so ineffective? Well, you know, our industry leaders have, have invested a lot of money in defensive strategies. Um, and it's not to say that they're they're pu- completely ineffective. I mean, they've, the, the security standards that have been set by the industry have have set have set security standards that do that do protect information. Um, where it's falling short is that that there's got to that the hackers are being are able to evolve faster than what the companies are able to implement. So they are more hackers are more nimble. They are able to sit on a server and react to what a company is doing and react to a patch that's blocking one way in. They'll find another way in. And so the defense is not keeping up with the threat. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the threat, you know, is there a profile of today's hacker? Either one well, of you can. Yeah, go ahead. We touched on it a bit where, there, you know, there's not just one type of hacker. I mean, we, it used to be when, you know, the, the Internet was first starting and hacking first started, we conjured up an image of, of a lo- the lone wolf, the, the white male in his parents' basement, you know, hacking away. There are still statistics that say there are, in, in the United States, 
there are plenty of lone wolf hackers still operating, and they some studies have said that they are mostly male. But we've now, as the Internet has evolved, we've got the introduction of the criminal enterprises and the governments as well. Um, hacktivists that Jeff touched on are also um, are taking um, a lot of action in hacking as well. So it's, it's really a, a melange of, of different types of profiles with different types of agendas. You know, I've uh, it just reminded me when you were talking about like the the lone white male. You know, um, Kevin Mitnick. You know who he is. He was the FBI hacker, and I had him on my show. And actually, he interviewed me after he, <laughs> he had a show for a while on KFI down in Los Angeles, and he interviewed me because I'm an expert on identity theft. And then. He wrote, you know, The Art of Intrusion, and he had he couldn't touch a computer for a certain amount of years, and he, was, um, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a hacker that just had fun doing it, but he was really a social engineer as well. Um, but he, yeah, he has now turned from wearing his black hat to his white hat, and he is a security expert that advises companies, et cetera. You know him, don't you? You know who I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and there are a lot, of, a lot of people who have done that. You know, they yeah. started out hacking, and then they realized, for one thing, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't actually want to make a career that way. Right. And, you know, being on the um, cybersecurity side is now a very good, lucrative career and it's uh, you don't have to worry about being arrested and yeah right um, and, and so hiding like he had to hide i mean he would right. one of the things he did which you know when we were talking about identity theft he would steal the identities of d- dead babies babies who had died and taken their social security and that's how he evaded which he at the time didn't think it was any big deal but then i explained to him you know what do you think's going to happen when they come after these people with that name and that social, their parents are going to, you know, go through this trauma again. So anyway, um, yeah, but he he has turned to the white hat. But yeah, so now the hackers, the hackers are making money. And, um, and they're also um, really have some agendas that are that are not even money. So but but Kelly made a a couple good points there. I wanted to emphasize one is you know that you know, a lot of these folks are hackers but you don't even have to be a hacker twenty uh, percent of all of the cybersecurity breaches are conducted by insiders yes you know if you yeah. look at some of the most famous uh, breaches they they weren't some sophisticated hacker who broke into um, you know uh, classified right uh, uh, systems it was you know it was Chelsea Manning and it was Edward Snowden it was people who had been given access to these systems and right. who abused it right so putting together systems within a company or any enterprise that not only um, protect you from breaches but also help you figure out who's coming after you and give you alarm bells and whistles if people are doing things that are unconventional and suspicious so the one Kelly and I actually wrote an article recently about uh, how the systems are getting much better at attribution, uh, much better at being able to identify who's coming after you. And they can't hide behind a baby's, um, you know, social security number or some other, some other vehicle or, you know, hide behind four or five different servers. Uh, they're getting much better at being able to identify it was this computer 
and this person who was sitting, you know, at the keyboard at that time. Uh, and, and that has changed the game a little bit where now, you know, the, the companies are not in a purely defensive posture. They can figure out who's coming after them, why, and, and you know, develop strategies to address it. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. So, um, Kelly, do you just have any real quick words of uh, suggestions for our audience now that you scared them half to death? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to to leave with something that that is uh, proactive, (laughs) positive and proactive. I mean, we, we spoke about investments that companies have made into their cybersecurity programs. Um, and investing in the defensive is good, but also looking at de- investing in the offensive and uh, investing in finding out who's sitting on your system um, to see what they do and chase them off. Um, hackers do not like to be identified. They do not want to be named and shamed. And so it, it can be a great deterrent measure to, to invest in, a more, uh, to, in the attribution technologies that are out there. Well, terrific. That's a great way to end. And I think people might even consider cybersecurity uh, insurance. So we have been speaking now with uh, Kelly Fair and Jeff. We want to give your website at Denton's, D-E-N-T-O-N-S dot com. And we'll stay in touch. Thank you both so much for all the great work that you're doing. And uh, we hope to have you back again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mari. Okay. Really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 